Hello everyone and welcome to Honestly Booked. I'm your host Ariel on Instagram under at Are You Ready to Read with Four Eyes. And I'm your host Rachel on Instagram under at Paperbacks and Sketchbooks. This is a conversational podcast devoted to books, all thing books with no genre discrimination. We hope with this podcast we will expand your TBR. To get updates on our show, you can follow us on Instagram at Honestly Booked and like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us get our podcast out there. Rachel, welcome to episode 10. 10. It says it right there, too. <laughs> well, Rachel, welcome to episode 10, our 10th episode. Woo, woo. I am so excited for this one. I love romances, and this episode is all about romances. Let's just get straight into it. This episode is going to focus solely on romances. We're going to talk about quite a few tropes, which tropes we'll get into more later. Trope is kind of like a book word for theme. And we're going to talk a lot about different tropes, different themes, and get just into it. But before we get into our, you know, romancy stuff, um, I know Rachel is super excited. I'm actually a little bit excited too. I learned a lot doing, you know, research for this episode. But like I said, before we get into the romances, I want to know what the last, what your latest read was, Rachel. Ooh, my latest read. I'm so excited about this one. I loved every single thing about it is Happiness for Beginners by Catherine Center. There's a theme here. I seem to be reading a lot of Catherine Center books recently, but she's easily become my new favorite romance author because she sort of puts the romance not at the forefront, but not in the background, sort of a good in between all of the other stuff that's happening. On Goodreads, this book has a 4.09 star rating. I personally gave it four stars. A year after getting divorced, Helen Carpenter, 32, lets her annoying 10 years younger brother talk her into signing up for a wilderness survival course. It's supposed to be a chance for her to pull herself together again, but when she discovers that her brother's even more annoying best friend is also coming on the trip, she can't imagine how it will be anything other than a disaster. Thus begins the strangest adventure of Helen's well-behaved life. Three weeks in the remotest wilderness of a mountain range in Wyoming, where she will survive mosquito infestations, a surprise summer blizzard, and a group of sorority girls. Yet, despite everything, the vast wilderness has a way of making Helen's own little life seem bigger too. And somehow, the people who annoy her the most start teaching her the very things she needs to learn. Like how to stand up for herself, and how being scared can make you brave. And how sometimes you just have to get really, really lost before you can even have a hope of being found. I really love this book. I gave it four stars because I just found some parts to be very wordy and repetitive, especially with Helen's internal thoughts. She kept saying the same things throughout the whole book. And this book is told from Helen's point of view, which I liked Helen. I adored her. She was a great character, but she just, in some sense, seemed a little weak to me. Like she kept harping on about the same things over and over again, which I was like, okay, like I get it. You're out in the wilderness. Like it's going to be like this. But the ending also didn't really satisfy me. It didn't give me that sort of lovey-dovey butterfly feeling I got with other Catherine Center books. It just wasn't what I was expecting. And there wasn't that traditional epilogue that her books usually have either. So I know this one is a little bit older compared to her other ones. So maybe I've just read her newer ones and they're a different style. But this one was good. It just wasn't like a top book by her for me. So it's funny you say that because the book, one of the books that I read by Catherine Center, because if you guys remember, that was, I believe, a, not our last episode, but a previous episode was our spotlight on her. One of the books that I read was actually her first book she ever wrote. It had kind of the same issue as what you're saying. Um, it had a very weak main character, you know, that was just making decisions that I would not have. And it felt like there was a lot of inner dialogue in that book as well. So I definitely feel like since you've read her newest book, The Bodyguard, and we've both read books that were around, you know, a few years ago from her, I feel like her writing style has definitely changed and grown. Would you say so? I would definitely say so. And I have to say, I really like how it's changed. And I like how she's evolved as a writer. I think she's doing a really great job. So you read, you've read what, three or four of her books now? I think this is book number four that I've read by her. 
Okay, so out of those four, would where would this like fall on the ranking? I think this would fall at number four, actually. Now, was it heavy on the romance? Because one of her books that you read was heavy on the romance with like a side of other stuff. And then another book you read was like more fiction with a side of romance. So where does this where does this one fall for you? This one, oh God, it's like a little bit in between because in the beginning of the book, it was very anti-romance but when you got to the end it was like very very romance heavy like the main character totally switched gears and I was like this doesn't really seem like her because at the beginning she was like not into falling in love and all this but then at the end like all she wanted was this one guy's attention interesting so now another question since we are talking about romances and romance tropes and this just happens to have been a so semi-romance book was there any tropes in the book that like we know of like grumpy sunshine friends to lovers like did it hit any of those I'd say if anything it hit the forced proximity trope because the like the would-be love interest ended up being on this trip with her so and it was a very small group of like 12 people and we'll get more into what forced proximity means in just a little bit um but this book if you enjoyed part of your world by abby jimenez and something wilder by christina lauren you would most likely enjoy this book and that was happiness for beginners by Catherine center what is your latest read ariel so my latest read was an Amazon Prime first reads from I'm a few I feel like I'm a, a little bit behind on those so I want to say it was from maybe a month or two ago and it's called The Last Lie Told by Deborah Webb and if you remember in a previous episode I had I said I added book 2 and 3 to my TBR because this book was so good to me like I absolutely loved it it shocked the heck out of me the beginning I was like not 100% into it but then it kind of like opened up and went a whole different direction. And I was like, whoa, okay, that shocked me. There were so many layers to this book. Every character was done extremely well. It was a thriller and police procedural. So the synopsis says, legal investigator Finley O'Sullivan searches for evidence the police overlooked, wading through secrets, lies, and betrayal to find answers. When the unsolved murder of her husband still very much on her mind, Finley must confront her own personal trauma on a daily basis. Lies are part of her livelihood, but they're also the reason she can't get justice for the man she loved. When a man in prison for murder recants his confession, claiming he cleaned up the mess for his girlfriend, the victim's own daughter, Finley takes on the case. She discovers the victim had identical twin daughters, and the sisters have very different accounts of the crime. As she dives headlong into the twins' traumatic past, Finley will have to contend with her own demons to get to the truth before it's too late. So there's in the synopsis, what kind of like overwhelmed me in the beginning was there was so many different things going on, right? You have Finley, who is a investigator. Now remember that she's not like a lawyer or anything. She's an investigator. And she's put on this case to help. Basically, these twin daughters are her clients. Okay, so she's trying to help these twin daughters to prove that they're innocent, you know, because the man who's in prison for actually killing their father said he didn't do it. It was one of the daughters. So she's like trying to, you know, figure out the truth and all that. And then while that's happening, she's also having to deal with her own personal tragedy, which was her husband had gotten killed in front of her. So there were so many like different things going on but it wasn't super confusing if that makes sense it was also very factual on the police procedural part which is a huge deal to me if I'm reading a police procedural and there's <laughs> I don't want to bring up that one book that you and I met from but <laughs> if there's like a complete lack of common sense or something that just would not happen in real police procedural life and it, it irritates me you know because if you're gonna write a book you got to do some research and I feel like Deborah Webb this author did some really good research either that or she was like some kind of investigator or cop because it was very factual I almost gave it five stars. I think I gave it 4.5. The reason why I didn't get five stars 
was because of one little thing and it was just one of the twists and it's nothing that would really affect like someone else is reading you might it might not affect you as much as it affected me but it was something that really bothered me I can't you know I can't really say what it is because I'd give away the twist but other than that the book was excellent and like I said immediately after I was done reading I threw book number two and three on my TBR so that was Deborah Webb's The Last Lie Told would you say a twist makes or breaks your rating when you're reading a book it depends on if it is because my biggest thing is re- and this is so stupid, but my biggest thing is realis- realism, realisticness. Those are definitely not words, but <laughs> like it has to make sense, you know, like I have to see the twist kind of coming, you know, like, but not see it coming, like see it coming clear as day. Like I need to be able to, when the twist happens, be like thinking back, oh, that person was behaving strangely or like, oh, I see how that could connect but not like too forward where it's like the whole time I'm like, it's Darcy, it's Darcy, it's Darcy, you know? Yeah. I hate when twists throw this like random person at the last minute in and they're like, this person killed him. And you're like, that person wasn't even in the book the whole time. You had me thinking it was this person. Like those things, yeah, those things bother me. So yeah, a twist can definitely make or break a book for me. This one, it wasn't so bad the twist wasn't so bad that it broke the book for me. Obviously, I still rated it 4.5. Um, actually, now that I'm looking at it, it's 4.75 is what I put. That last twist was just kind of like, I had to think back a little bit in the book and be like, hmm, I think I saw it coming, but I don't know. So I would love someone to read this and tell me what they think of that last twist. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I pretty much throw like all of the books on this podcast onto my TBR. So I'm like, they all sound good. <laughs> right you've you've definitely opened my eyes to a few books as well it's just you like a lot of romance books and I tend to yeah. Like not yeah what would you say are some comparable books to that one you know what actually what I would comp- what I would like compare this book to and I don't do this lightly but I would really compare this to a lightweight Karen Slaughter oh interesting not too deep into it but where there's multiple storylines going on um, that are believable, where there is the way she wrote her main character is kind of how Karen Slaughter would write her main characters. The only thing that it's missing between her and Karen Slaughter would be the like gruesome, bloody, disgusting aspect. Okay, okay. But um, yeah, I I do want to say I would like, if you like Karen Slaughter's type books, if you like police procedurals, with like thriller and suspense aspects, definitely grab this book. It's it's really good. So since we're on the topic of romances, let's do a little this or that. Rachel, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so let's say you were forced to only read one of these books for types for the rest of your life. Now, real quick, before we get too deep into this whole, because we're going to keep using the word trope, I just want to one more time state that trope is what we use in the book world, but it really means like theme. So like the underlying theme or the, um, what would you say, Rachel? Like it's like theme, right? Yeah. It's like a theme or a topic. Topic. There you go. I would say it's a theme or a topic that the book is primarily based around. Yes. So if you were stuck with reading only one of these tropes for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? And that is between enemies to lovers or friends to lovers. I would have to say enemies to lovers because the stories are usually just more interesting because if they're friends, like there's already all that tension there. And to me, it's just like, get over with already, like confess your love to each other. But with enemies, that's not always the case, even if there is some of that tension. But I find the story in enemies to lovers books to be more interesting the whole time you were talking I was thinking about my answer to this question and I plead the fifth I'm gonna skip this one I'm just kidding (laughs) um because I literally cannot stand both of these only because like you know they're you know they're gonna get together in the end well right it's literally in the trope name two lovers I actually think I would pick friends to lovers okay okay do you just like 
Do you think it's just a better play out than the enemies one? I think the enemies to lovers is so cliche and like so like I just feel like if I were to read one that was enemies to lovers, I would just be annoyed the whole time because of the sexual angst. Okay, that that makes sense. Kind of the same exact reason you chose friends to lovers, you know, which I mean, it's same in both of them. You know, they're both they're, it's both hard because it's kind of like the same thing. It's just one's friends and one's enemies. I think I would have to do friends to lovers. And then I would just hope that it was written more like a contemporary fiction with the side of romance. Right. That's like, no, not true. Because <laughs> right. enemies to lovers, I just feel like. The part that would bug me about that would be, like, them trying to sabotage each other or, like, start fights with each other. It would just be, like, ugh, eye roll. Like, straight eye roll. Does that make sense a little bit? I think so. I think I understand what you're saying. Well, you're really going to love the next one because my question for you is surprise pregnancy or only one bed? Rachel. Rachel. Could you have mixed these up any worse? Like, geez. I did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, they're difficult. Okay, I plead fifth on this one. <laughs> um, okay, let me think about this for a minute. So, surprise pregnancy. I think I'm just I'm not saying that's the one. I'm just saying. So, surprise pregnancy, it's in the name, surprise pregnancy. I feel like if that one's used as a trick, or for the man to love her? No. But I really, really, really hate the only one bed trope. You know what? I'm probably going to shock you again, but I'm going to say surprise pregnancy only because I'm hoping that it's like a thrown in at the end, like how that one book you read was. I'm not going <laughs> to say which one. Yeah, if you... <laughs> It'll spoil the whole thing. <laughs> and then I can, you know, read the whole rest of the book without it being a big deal. But I feel like only one bed would be like the majority of the book. Right. So I'm gonna say surprise pregnancy on this one. Well, I have to disagree and I have to say only one bed because there's nothing I can't stand more than the surprise pregnancy trope. I think only one bed is literally like the one I cannot stand. Only one bed can be bearable if the story is done right. Like if the story is like centered around like two people that say they're like on vacation and the place ends up like only having one bed. Um, I know it's like drenched in cheese, but if they're off doing like other things like exploring and like exploring the relationship farther, like outside of the only one bed trope, then I think it's better. Surprise pregnancy, I will always have a deep hatred for. Okay, but like surprise pregnancy, you can read a whole book without it being an issue and then it could fall at the end like that one book you read. Yeah, but that ruined the whole book for me. That made me change my whole perspective on the book and I changed my rating. I lowered my rating. Okay, so let's move on from this topic. Yeah, I this have is another one. too much. <laughs> okay, so mine for you is... Fake dating or forced proximity? Now, forced proximity is, um, it's kind of like the only one bed trope, but not only one bed, in my opinion. It's like where you're forced in close quarters or you're like, um, like she had said in her book that she brought earlier, you know, you're forced on this wilderness trip together, you know, with no one else around. So fake dating or forced proximity? You know, I hate me a fake dating book. I have to go forced proximity because forced proximity can be very interesting and very entertaining, especially if it's in a rom-com style book. So I'd have to say forced forced proximity. I'm gonna actually agree with you there. The problem with the fa the problem with the fake dating one is that there's no surprise to it. Like you know that they're gonna end up falling for each other. That's true. The thing about romances, I'll get into this later, is that like they have that ending on purpose. Okay, so last question. Would you rather read a second chance romance or marriage of convenience? A second chance romance, hands down. I love that trope. That's like the one trope that I actually enjoy. So second chance romance, for sure. 
I actually, I know I bashed on this trope in previous episodes, but I would have to agree because marriage of convenience, you always know what's going to happen with marriage of convenience as well. It's like fake dating kind of. In a exactly. Way. Exactly. And marriage of convenience, for those who don't know, you basically have one main character that marries the other main character because it's convenient for them. Like they're gaining something positive out of marrying them. So it's basically like a fake marriage in a way. The second chance romance for sure will always have a special place in my heart because my husband and I are actually a second chance romance. That's so cute. So what before we get into our like big topic discussion on romance books, what are you currently reading? I am not currently reading anything. I know. Terrible. But I'm about to start reading. I swear. Either tonight or tomorrow, I'm about to start reading Beartown by Frederick Bachman. I've seen this everywhere. I'm super excited for it. I was gifted a copy of it for my birthday by one of my friends, Rosalie. Her Instagram is at Industrial Reader. She's super awesome. Love her. On Goodreads, it has a 4.29 star rating. This one is raved about so much on Bookstagram. Like everyone says they cried while reading it. They laughed while reading it. Like they say Bachman is like an incredible storyteller, which he is. I've read two of his books and I enjoyed both of them very much. Is Beartown in a Beartown's in a series, right? That's like the start of a series. Yes, so it is the first in a trilogy. Isn't he from another country and his works are translated, or am I thinking of someone else? Yeah, so he is from Sweden, I believe, and yeah, his books they're written in Swedish and translated. People say Beartown is finished, a tiny community nestled deep in the forest. It is slowly losing ground to the ever enroaching trees. But down by the lake stands an old ice rink built generations ago by the working men who founded this town. And in that ice rink is the reason people in Beartown believe tomorrow will be better than today. Their junior ice hockey team is about to compete in the national semifinals, and they actually have a shot at winning. All the hopes and dreams of this place now rest on the shoulders of a handful of teenage boys. Being responsible for the hopes of an entire town is a heavy burden, and the semifinal match is the catalyst for a violent act that will leave a young girl traumatized and a town in turmoil. Accusations are made, and like ripples on a pond, they travel through all of Beartown, leaving no resident unaffected. So like I said, I haven't started this one yet, but I'm super, super, super excited to. Everyone I trust with reviews has said that this book is absolutely fantastic. Everyone I've known that's read this one has given it like four and a half or five stars. So why wouldn't I want to read this? So definitely picking this one up ASAP and I really hope I love it. Well, the good news is if you like it, there's three more to read. <laughs> that's very true. And if you enjoyed Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin and Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, you will most likely enjoy Beartown by Frederick Bachman. What are you currently reading, Ariel? The book I'm currently reading, I have about 20 pages left in and I have some strong feelings about, but I'm not done yet. So we'll see. It's called The Wife Stalker by Liv Constantine. Now, I've read quite a few from Liv Constantine, and I also have one of their books on my NetGalley as an advanced reader copy that I will be getting to shortly. But Liv Constantine, side note, is actually two sisters that write under a pen name of Liv Constantine. Oh, interesting. So the book I'm reading is called The Wife Stalker. In the breezy seaside paradise of Westport, Connecticut, Gorgeous 30-something Piper Renard sits down roots, opening a rehab and wellness space and joining a local yacht club. When she meets Leo Dracos, a handsome, successful lawyer, the wedding ring on his finger is the only thing she doesn't like about him. Yet, as Piper knows, no marriage is permanent. Meanwhile, Joanna has been patiently waiting for Leo, the charismatic man she fell in love with all those years ago, to reemerge from his severe depression that has engulfed him. Though she's thankful when Leo returns to his charming, energetic self, paying attention to their children they both love, Joanna is shocked to discover that it's not her loving support that sparked his renewed happiness. It's someone else. Piper. Leo has fallen head over heels for the new-agey newcomer, and he's more than willing to leave Joanna behind, along with everything they built. Joanna is devastated and determined to find something, anything to use against this woman who has stolen her life and her true love. As she digs deeper into Piper's past, Joanna begins to unearth disturbing secrets. But when she confides to her therapist that she fears for the lives of her ex-husband and children, her concerns are dismissed as paranoia. Can she find the proof she needs in time to save them? This book so far has been very interesting to me. 
told from both Joanna and Piper's point of views. And it seems like the author's trying to make us not like the wife and like the side chick in a way, which, I mean, I'm married. <laughs> I have kids, you know, I have a husband. And so it's always hard for me to find sympathy or empathy towards anyone that would break up a marriage. So I'm having a really hard time like separating that in my head. Plus there's like, you know, this whole, what did she do in her past thing going on? So there's a lot with this book that I'm like, it's not sitting right with me, but the writing is good. The story's pacing is good. Um, I'm actually really excited to finish this one tonight and I will, you know, I'll probably end up liking it cause it's been a pretty good book. But like I said, it's just one of those things when I'm reading books and there's like a woman trying to break up a marriage or something like that. It's just always, you know, I'm just like, ugh, you know? Yeah, that's, um. I mean, even for myself, I don't really enjoy that that much. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we both have some very good books we're reading right now. I mean, yours is like so-so, but to me, it sounds really interesting. Going into our theme this week, romances, um, we want to let you guys know a little bit about trending romance books right now, upcoming romances, what exactly the tropes are, all that fun stuff. So while we're on the topic of romance books, the top three romance books that we were looking up and researching that we just could not stop seeing on our bookstagram, on, you know, charts and stuff like that was The Things We Hide from the Light by Lucy Score, which is the second in a series. I have not read the first one. I probably won't read this series just because of some reviews I've seen from, you know, trusted sources and friends, but I can say her books have beautiful covers. Oh, they do. I love the covers so much, which like it draws me to them. Like I feel like I need to read them despite the reviews because the covers are so beautiful. They're beautiful. But the problem is, is that the books are like 600 pages. I know. And I'm like, why (laughs) does a romance novel have to be so long? From the little bit I've looked into it, I think it's like kind of like anthology wise, but still tying together. Like the first book had character A and B and then like the second book has like character C and D. So it's, you know, okay, um, okay, kind of the same like neighborhood in a way, but different people's little romances. That's that's just what I've got from it so far. But that is the top book right now in the romance genre. The second one is Final Offer by Lauren Asher, which also has a very interesting cover. I would say so. This one is like part of a um, the Dreamland Billionaire series. It's the last one or the third one. I don't know if she's planning on writing more, but I keep seeing mixed reviews on this one as well all over Instagram. Same. And it looks like the cover's like blueprints or something. Like I can't figure I it out. I think so. I'm not really sure what the series is encapsulates but I know it has to do with billionaires the third and final top book right now is secretly yours by Tessa Bailey which I don't even think is out yet I think it just came out I think it's a very very new release but I've heard like rave reviews about Tessa Bailey's books I just have not read any of them yet they're all on my TBR though so something I've noticed with romance authors And a select few thriller authors, but mostly romance authors, is they have cult followings. They do. They do. They have serious cult followings. Like, big one that I can think of is Emily Henry. Anytime she drops a book, it's like top of the charts immediately and like no one's even ready yet that's also an upcoming book that's coming up soon as she does have a book called Happy Place. It is on NetGalley right now, still available for... um, Uh, advanced reader copies so if you're into that go get on there and request it (laughs) I can't guarantee they'll give it to you but hey at least you could try and then the other person that like has huge cult followings is oh gosh I can't think of the name oh Allie Hazelwood Allie Hazelwood she has huge cult followings as well she writes like um I haven't read any of her books but she writes um women in stem themed novels 
So like women in the sciences and mathematics and all of that, which is super interesting. I just, I haven't gotten around to reading them yet. Again, they're all on my TBR. Yes. And I believe she also has a book coming up soon. I'm not hundred percent sure on the name and you know, more into that. But I know that like basically a lot of romance, like pretty much every romance author, you know, has, has like big ones have, have a cult following. Um, Abby Jimenez is another one, you know, um, Tessa Bailey, you know, you'll always see these romance authors with new books. And when they do come out with new books, they are promoted like crazy. Oh, yeah. Like it's the only thing you'll see on Bookstagram for weeks. Going off of that, you're probably wondering, well, why do romances have such huge cult followings? Like, why are people obsessed with these authors? Why are they obsessed with the books? Why are they so popular even though they end up together in the end? Yeah, right? Like, the stories all sound to be the same. So there's actually a whole organization called Romance Writers of America. I was shocked when I found that out, but it's like a whole big thing. They got a whole website, whole everything, the whole shebang. But romances are popular because there's always that central love story. And then it always has that emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending that like we as humans naturally want. Like we always want good things to happen. We always want two people to end up happily ever after. So that's why most romances are super popular. I also feel like romances are popular because if you're into reading romances and that's what you like to read, I feel like it's kind of like a escape from reality in a way for people. I would also have to say so. Yes. Let's say you have an amazing, perfect marriage or relationship, but, um, you know, you just want to read something that's not like what you go through. You know, a lot of people say that they like, you know, these crazy, super sexual, smutty things, you know, and then in in real life, they're just, you know, not like that. So it's like kind of like a fantasy kind of thing too. Also, who doesn't want to be swept off their feet with like, you know, these crazy things they do in these romance novels, (laughs) right? It's all like an escape. I I love it for that. So while I was doing research on tropes and themes, you know, of romances, I had seen, I had looked up the top 10 romance tropes and I was a little bit surprised, but also not that surprised with some of them. I don't know if you were Rachel as well. So the top trope that everyone either loves to read or writes or rates high is friends to lover. And right after that comes enemies to lovers. So that was not so surprising to me. Because I feel like those are really, really common. Now, what was surprising to me was like pretty much the rest of this list. Number three, we have forbidden love. Didn't even think of that. But that would actually, hmm, I feel like that'd make an interesting book. Would you read that one? I think so. It like reminds me of the Disney princess movies though. Oh, didn't even think about that. So number four is secret identity slash billionaire slash royal. Now this is like when... Let's say the girl, the girl falls for this guy who seems like a total normal guy, but it turns out he's a flippin' billionaire or he's the prince of whatever. (laughs) That's what they mean for that one. Um, That one surprised me as well. I was trying to think. I'm like, oh, yeah, huh? That I do see books like that a lot. Would you read this one, Rachel? I would try reading this one only because it's so hyped up on the internet right now. BookTok and Bookstagram is like obsessed with the Twisted Love series by Anna Huang, the Dreamland Billionaire series that we just mentioned. Everyone's obsessed with that. I I don't know why, but I guess I want to find out why everyone's obsessed with it. So you can understand why I'd be up there high. Yes. Yeah, I need to know like why people are obsessed with it. So number five, coming in at number five is Stuck Together, which is like trapped in an elevator I guess you could say this is kind of like a forced proximity trope but it's like super forced proximity it seems like they weren't just saying like oh forced proximity you're on the same cruise line they're saying forced proximity you're literally trapped in an elevator don't know how someone would fall in love in that circumstance but hey it's number five people apparently like it and then number six is best friend's brother or sister which the only thing I could think of when I think of this book is Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. I hated that whole book, but I also I also think like 
best friend's brother or sister is so cringe on so many levels because like I don't know like to me like if I'm hanging out with like my best friend all the time and their brother's like coming around like I don't know if it's just me but like I never had a crush on the brother like I always thought the brother was gross and weird oh I read that backwards I thought it was like brother's best friend so I was thinking of my brother and his friends and I was like ew I guess that that's also like another interpretation of the trope, but it could also be like your best friend's like brother, like your best friend's sibling, or it could also be like your brother's friend. They both seem so, they both seem so incestuous to me, (laughs) especially if it's your, okay. So if it's your best friend's brother or sister, let's say there's this person you grew up with, like went to uh, like camp with and stuff and their older brother's like hanging around the whole time, like. I don't know. It just feels weird to fall in love with that person. It feels wrong because like, I feel like with your best friend, you're practically family. Yeah. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven was second chance romance. This surprised me with how high it was on the chart. Now the chart that I looked at had like a hundred, it had like a hundred tropes. So the fact that it was number seven is pretty crazy to me, but that's kind of cool because I like that. And then number eight is Runaway Bride or Groom, which that shocked me as well. I didn't realize that was such a huge thing that that happened often in romance books. I feel like I'd read it. I feel like I would read that. And I think I actually have read where a bride ran away from the altar and something happened and she met some other guy and they fell in love. Totally messed up, but it was an interesting book. Number nine shocked me as well. This was Amnesia interesting I don't even know how that would make a romance book I feel like so I haven't read any I don't think where the girl or the guy has gotten amnesia but I think basically it's supposed to be like some accident happens and I feel like this mostly happens to the female character but the female character has an accident and she like she loses her memory she has amnesia she doesn't remember who the guy is and then the guy is like trying to get her to remember so they fall in love again it's like that one movie what's that movie new year's day or something it's crazy interesting amnesia books are i like them in thrillers don't know if i would (laughs) like it in a romance i know romance is kind of weird but you know that's just me And then ending the list is Holiday Romance and Flings, which I feel like that would be... uh... We literally read a book called Holiday Romance, and it was not good. Yeah, no, I feel like... Well, that one was done bad, so... But um, I feel like, well, that's just... I mean, it makes sense that it's up there. So that was the top tropes. So now we're going to go into our themed reads and... Basically, we had taken 10 tropes that we could think of, and we split them up with a coin flip, actually. And we are going to talk about each of the tropes, and we're going to talk about a book we can recommend, well, not recommend, but a book that is that trope if you want to read it. The first trope is Only One Bed, and this one is, as it seems, it is Only One Bed. Basically, two main characters end up together. They're usually at a hotel. They could be in a cabin. They could be on a vacation somewhere. And to their surprise, there ends up only being one bed for them to sleep on. So a book for this one, if you want to read about the only one bed trope, would be The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon. This one I've read. I loved it. So I can tell you firsthand that it's really good. It's not drenched in cheese like you might assume it is, but it basically just follows two radio hosts and they have um, a radio show and they're pretending to be exes and their radio show is called The X-Talk. And in one part of the book, they end up being sent somewhere to get to know each other better because their boss thinks they don't know enough about each other to pretend to be real exes. And you can guess from there where only one bed may come in. So if you want to get into that trope, I would start with this one. Don't know if I would read that one only because of the trope. Sorry. The trope was not front and center in that one. So it's not like it was overbearing. It was just like one specific part of it. So the trope I got, surprise, surprise, is surprise pregnancy. Now, I did a little bit of research on this because (laughs) I couldn't really find a book that 
said it had surprise pregnancy in it without it like kind of being a spoiler. So I had to find one that literally that was centered, the whole book was centered around that. And the accidental slash surprise pregnancy romance trope, it's kind of like a heightened form of the forced proximity trope, you know? Like these characters have to be together because there's a baby now or, you know, one of them completely runs away or whatever. So um, a book that came up for me was The Billionaire's Legacy by Reese Ryan. And it says, tech billionaire Benjamin Bennett can't resist a steamy weekend with Sloan Sutton. His crush on her goes way back. But when he tracks her down, she's pregnant with twins. Now their fling needs trust to survive. Benji wants a wedding. His family claims she's a gold digger. But Sloan won't be bought or married. So this seems like it's a short and steamy book with like a billionaire aspect and an accidental pregnancy trope. But I couldn't figure out if they like she was pregnant beforehand or I, I don't know. So that was really the only one that I found that didn't have like it as a spoiler, if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like surprise pregnancy always ends up being a major spoiler for some books. Like it just has to happen in the book. Yeah. It can't you like, you can't look it up and you know what I mean? Because then it would be right. like how this book was where she came pregnant, you know? Right. If you wanted to, I mean, I guess you could always like Google it or look up like something with the surprise pregnancy trope, but I feel like that might be spoiling it for yourself, but whatever. Yeah. It, it depends on you, the listener, if you want to be spoiled, but we're not going to do that for you. The next trope is found family. This one is the main character. They don't really have a sense of what a tight knit close family is like. So they end up running into a group of people or somehow in their lives, they have this group of people brought upon them and they act like a close knit family, even though they're not blood related. So a book for this one would be One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. I've read this one and I think this is a really great example of found family because you have the main character, August, and she moves into a New York City apartment with three other roommates and they become very close very quickly. They're basically like family. They're like helping each other out with everything. Like they're helping August pursue her love interest of Jane. And this book actually has a paranormal aspect to it where Jane is from the past and she is on the New York City Q train, the subway, and August stumbles upon her and she thinks it's weird that she keeps running into Jane. So they dive farther into it. But amongst that, Jane and August sort of fall in love. So you can take it from there. But August definitely found a family in her roommates and in Jane. So this is a great book if you want a sense of what the found family trope is. I like that. And I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like that wouldn't be extremely romance focused. So I feel like I would actually read one of those. Yeah, it was definitely a better one in terms of not cheesy romance. Well, the next trope we have is enemies to lovers. And a book that I had found for that was The Spanish Love Deception by Elena Armas. And I just want to pause real quick and say that the a lot of these romance books have such like gorgeous color and covers. I am a pastel lover. I love pastels. And I think that the, I want to say it's called cartoon covers. And I like it. It's interesting. So it looks like this book is, like we said, enemies to lovers. And it says that um, Catalina desperately needs a date to her sister's wedding, especially since her little white lie about her American boyfriend has spiraled out of control. Now everyone she knows, including her ex and his fiance, will be there eager to meet him. She only has four weeks to find someone willing to cross the Atlantic to aid her in her deception. Enter Aaron Blackford, her tall, handsome, and condescending colleague who surprisingly offers to step in. She'd rather refuse. Never has there been a more aggravating, blood-boiling, and insufferable man. But Catalina's desperate, and as the wedding draws near, Aaron looks like her best option. But she begins to realize he might not be as terrible in the real world as he is in the office. So this looks like it's a um, enemies to lovers trope. The next trope is fake dating. And fake dating is how it sounds to main characters get into a fake relationship, usually because one of them lies to someone about 
a relationship that they're in. So they pretend to be dating. So a book for this one would be The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. So in this book, there's a wedding and Olive is at this wedding and Ethan is at this wedding and everyone in the wedding ends up getting food poisoning. So obviously the bride and groom can't go on their honeymoon. So lo and behold, Olive and Ethan end up getting this all expenses paid honeymoon in Hawaii. So putting their mutual hatred aside for the sake of this free vacation, Olive and Ethan are headed for paradise, determined to avoid each other at all costs. But Olive runs into her future boss there and she tells him a little white lie and that's suddenly at risk to become a whole lot bigger of a lie. So she and Ethan now have to pretend to be loving newlyweds. So this seems like a super fun rom-com style book with the fake dating trope front and center. So the next one is Academic Rivals. And that is kind of like exactly what it sounds like. Your Academic Rivals. And a good book for that is Beach Read by Emily Henry. A romance writer who no longer believes in love and a literary writer stuck in a rut engage in a summer-long challenge that may just upend everything they believe about happily ever afters. They are polar opposites. In fact, the only thing they have in common is that for the next three months, they're living in neighboring beach houses broke and bogged down with writer's block. Until one hazy evening... One thing leads to another, and they strike a deal designed to force them out of their created ruts. He will spend the summer writing something happy, and she will pen the next great American novel. She'll take him on field trips worthy of any rom-com, and he'll take her to interview surviving members of a backwoods death cult. Everyone will finish a book, and no one will fall in love. Really. This is a good book to pick up if you want to try the academic rivals trope. I actually read this one, and I really enjoyed it. The next trope is marriage of convenience. Marriage of convenience is also, as it sounds, a marriage of convenience. Usually one character is marrying the other for a positive yet selfish sort of outcome. So they're gaining something positive out of this marriage of convenience. So a good book for this one is King of Wrath by Anna Huang. This one is also a super popular one all over Instagram right now. This one is about Dante Russo who thrives on control both personally and professionally. The billionaire CEO never planned to marry until the threat of blackmail forced him into an engagement with a woman he barely knew. Vivian Lau is a jewelry heiress and a daughter of his newest enemy. It doesn't matter how beautiful or charming she is, he'll do everything in his power to destroy the evidence of their betrothal. And there's only one problem. Now that he has her, he can't bring himself to let her go. Vivian Lau is the perfect daughter and her family's ticket into the highest echelons of society. Marrying a blue-blooded Russo means opening the doors that would otherwise remain closed to her new money family. While the rude elusive Dante isn't her idea of a dream partner, she agrees to their arranged marriage out of duty. Seems pretty marriage of convenience to me, but this one, again, has great reviews all over Bookstagram, so definitely add it to my TBR. The next one is Second Chance Romance, and a good book to start with that is Every Summer After by Carly Fortune, which this is on my TBR because I've seen so many people, so many trusted sources that said it was so good. So this is basically for six summers through hazy afternoons on the water and warm summer nights working at his family's restaurant and curling up together with books, medical textbooks for him, and work in progress horror short stories for her, Percy and Sam become inseparable. Eventually that friendship turned into something breathtakingly more before it fell apart. When Percy returns to the lake for Sam's mother's funeral, their connection is as undeniable as it had always been. But until Percy can confront the decisions she made and the years she spent punishing herself for them, they'll never know whether their love might be bigger than the biggest mistakes of their past. That is a second chance romance book. And you have this one on your TBR too, Rachel, right? I do. I have a lot of them on my TBR. (laughs) The next trope is forced proximity. And forced proximity is basically, it's like only one bed. It's similar in a sense, but they're not just like stuck with only one bed. They could be in an enclosed space, like we said earlier, like trapped in an elevator, or they could be on a trip together, 
or you know they could have a class together they can't they just can't escape the other person no matter how hard they try that is forced proximity so a good book for this one is under one roof by Allie hazelwood and this book is about a few friends and they're all scientists and they all believe that opposites attract and rivals make you burn so Mara is the main character and she knows about the delicate nature of ecosystems. And there is also Liam, who is her detestable big oil lawyer of a roommate, and he knows nothing about the nature of ecosystems. So she's basically forced to be near this guy because he's her roommate and <laughs> she despises him and she hates him. And I guess the feeling is like kind of mutual, but you know opposites attract as all of Mara's friends have said so you can kind of guess where it goes from there but Under One Roof by Allie Hazelwood is definitely a great beginning book for forced proximity love it actually the next one for me is also an Allie Hazelwood and this is a grumpy sunshine the love hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood as a third year PhD candidate Olive Smith doesn't believe in lasting romantic relationships but her best friend does scientists require proof so like any biologist, Olive panics and kisses the first man she sees. That man is none other than Adam Carlson, a young hotshot professor and a well-known jerk, which is why Olive is positively floored when Stanford's reigning lab tyrant agrees to keep her a charade a secret and be her fake boyfriend. But when a big science conference goes haywire, putting Olive's career on the Bunsen burner, Adam surprises her yet again with his unyielding support and even more unyielding six-pack. Suddenly, their little experiment feels dangerously close to combustion, and Olive discovers that the only thing more complicated than a hypothesis on love is putting her own heart under the microscope. So this has the grumpy sunshine, but it also, if you heard from that, it kind of has a little bit of the fake dating. Yeah, that's interesting. This one's been on my TBR for a while now. I do like, I haven't read any of her books yet, but I do like how all her books have to do with women in STEM. That's interesting. So that was our little romance talk. Hopefully we got you some good trope recommendations if you're going to, you know, want to listen to any of those. And um, I definitely have learned about myself some new things, <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that I guess I'm okay with accidental pregnancy trope. Yeah, right? I'm shocked. <laughs> when it was compared to the other one, ma'am, of course I was going to pick that. I mean, yeah. So did you get to anything on your TBR knockdown? Well, no. But the book that I really wanted to get to this week that I didn't was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I know you've been harping on me to read it, so I, I'm so upset that I didn't get to it, but... Fingers crossed next week I will have it done and I will have it read because I literally cannot wait to read it. This one looks so good. It has a 4.46 star rating on Goodreads. Very, very high. That's like one of the highest Goodreads ratings that I've ever seen. Aging and reclusive Hollywood movie icon Evelyn Hugo is finally ready to tell the truth about her glamorous and scandalous life. But when she chooses unknown magazine reporter Monique Grant for the job, no one is more astounded than Monique herself. Why her? Why now? Monique is not exactly on top of the world. Her husband has left her and her professional life is going nowhere. Regardless of why Evelyn has selected her to write her biography, Monique is determined to use this opportunity to jumpstart her career. Summoned to Evelyn's luxurious apartment, Monique listens in fascination as the actress tells her story. From making her way to Los Angeles in the 1950s to her decision to leave the show business in the 80s, and of course, the seven husbands along the way, Evelyn unspools a tale of ruthless ambition, unexpected friendship, and a great forbidden love. Monique begins to feel a very real connection to the legendary star, but as Evelyn's stories near its conclusion, it becomes clear that her life intersects with Monique's own in tragic and irreversible ways. This book has been all over BookTok and Bookstagram for like the past year or whenever it came out. Like I cannot escape this book, so I definitely hands down need to read this ASAP. And that is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Awesome. So I got to a few on my TBR Knockdown this week. Um, specifically, The Wife Stalker, the one that I'm currently reading, is one of my TBR Knockdowns. So my next TBR Knockdown is Raven Lane by Amber Cowie. And this has a 3.52 rating on Goodreads, but it only has 600 ratings. So, and I've literally 
I don't even know how this got on my TBR or like <laughs> where I saw it. But um, once I read the synopsis, I actually grabbed a couple of her other books from the library too. The truth can bring out the worst and the best of friends. Esme and Benedict Warner have an idyllic life in a tight-knit community until an accident in their cul-de-sac ends in the tragic sudden death of one of their dearest neighbors. After vindicating eyewitness accounts morph into contradictory memories, suspicion, and unaccountable accusations, Benedict is arrested. Esme's life, too, is changed forever. As the neighborhood largely turns against her and her family, Esme has time to think about her past and what to do next. Then her fellow residents start looking deeper and questioning one another and themselves and the lies that hide within. Esme has more than her fair share of secrets, and the consequences of what happened on that late summer evening on Raven Lane are far from over. When the mask of civility slips, can friends and neighbors recover from seeing the monstrous truths behind? So this actually has one of my like key buzzwords that I like to read, which is neighbors and secrets and undercover <laughs> like. Uh, undercover secrets and betrayal and stuff so this looks like it's going to be an interesting book and I hope I can get to it soon that sounds so exciting I hope we can both get to our TBR knockdowns this week but I know I didn't read my TBR knockdown and I also did not read the book club book but I know you had rave reviews about our book club book this week which was take my hand yes so take my hand was a really really hard book to read and not because of the writing or because of um, anything like that, but it was hard because of the subject matter. And it was, the even harder part was that it was inspired by true events. This book was told in two perspectives. It's told from the main character, Sybil Townsend, but it's told in two point of views, one from 1973 and one from now, 2016. She is fresh out of nursing school and she starts working in the Montgomery Family Planning Clinic to help women make their own choices with their lives and their bodies. But on her first week in the job, she goes down to a worn down one room cabin and she's shocked to learn that her new patients are just children, 11 and 13 years old. Neither of them have even kissed a boy, but they're poor and they're black. And for those that handle the family's welfare benefits, that's reason enough to have the girls on birth control. So Sybil's grappling with her role and she takes Indian Erica in, into her heart. One day she arrives at their door to learn that the unthinkable has happened and that nothing will ever be the same. Decades later, with her daughter grown and a long career in her wake, Dr. Civil Townsend is ready to retire to find her peace and to leave the past behind. This book made me, it, wow, it ripped me apart. It was so beautifully written, but it was so hard to read, especially knowing that it was based off a true story. Like that was the hardest part. And the more I had learned and researched into the story, the more disgusted I was with the fact that this really happened in our country. It was very eye-opening. But on the positive side, I did absolutely love the main character and both the girls in the book. The characters were so deeply written, so well written. It was an excellent story. If you like that kind of true story slash hard to read slash inspiring eye-opening book, I would tell you to read Honor by Thridi Umragar and The Yellow Wife by Sadiqa Johnson. Those books, all three of those have to do with something that had happened that is true story and it's just, you know, it, it's so hard to read. But it was such a beautiful book. I loved it. And I would, it, it's not a thriller. It is 100% a historical fiction. This is on my eventual TBR. Like I definitely want to get to it because it just, I, I could take any learning opportunity to know about what happened back then. Book club book. I was a failure this week. I did not read it, but I did add some things to my TBR shelf. Did you get to add anything to your shelf this week? Anything sound interesting enough? I didn't add anything to my like Goodreads slash story grab shelf, but I did check out quite a few books in the library. That's probably a good thing because you have like a thousand on your TBR. I stop, I know. What did you add? I actually added The Deal Breaker and A Love That Blooms, both by Holly Whitworth. She is the author that I mentioned last episode who wrote the arc, the advanced copy of um, Over the Fence that I was so graciously able to read ahead of time before it publishes. And I actually wanted to know what her other books are like. And I found out that they're both on Kindle Unlimited, which I have. So I definitely want to read them. 
Over the Fence was a super quick read. So I'm assuming these are going to be pretty quick reads as well. So I'm interested to see what The Deal Breaker and A Love That Blooms has to offer. Speaking of library loans, I know you just mentioned you have a whole stack out. (laughs) I do, actually. I have a second in a series, a Heather Graham book, the second in her series, Crimson Summer. The first one was just so good. Of course, I had to grab the second one. And then there were a few books on the new shelf that I grabbed, which was The Last Invitation by Darby Kane and The German Wife. And then I also grabbed, like I said, another Amber Cowie book. Last One Alive, which is my TBR knockdown, Raven Lane. Um, I'm hoping she writes good books because <laughs> I got another one of hers. And then something that I'd had on my library loans for a while that finally got to me was Aesthetica by Ali Robottom, which was a aardvark pick from a few months back that I couldn't get in my box. So those are my library loans that are out currently. And I'm going to get to them. I will. I hope you do. That's a lot of library books. Whenever I check out more than three books, I always get so overwhelmed because I'm like, I'm not going to read this by the due date. Well, I used to be a million times worse, but I've gotten a lot better and I try and keep it under like five. So, well, that's good. That's good. You know what time it is? The end of the episode, which means it's time to go read. Time to go read. (laughs) I'm so excited. I've been wanting to sit down and read all day long. So now's my chance. (laughs) Next episode... It is going to be our February challenges episode. We're bringing our Mr. D reads that we read. We're bringing our three book club, book girls guides books, (laughs) our 12 by 12 friends. And I think that's all of our challenges, right? Yeah, that's it. I'm excited and we will see you guys next weekend. And as always, happy reading. Happy reading. (laughs) 